Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. Imagine with me today that you are, you grew up in a, a family where they had a small family business, and uh, you had an, a younger brother or sister uh, who was there, but as, as you reach, you're both about the same age, as you reach the age where you're, you're making a decision about what you're going to do with your life, uh, you make a decision to, to stick with the family business and help dad and mom out with that, and your younger brother or sister says, nah, I don't want to work in this crazy little place, and in fact, uh, I want, you know, whatever my share of this would be now, and I'll take it and do my own thing. And so they leave. And, and you stick in there and you work hard and, and it, it works, right? The, the business begins to grow and, and things are going very well. And you hear rumors about your younger brother or sister out there uh, that it's not going well, that they are not uh, making good decisions. And in fact, they're doing things, he or she is doing things that um, really puts your name in a bad light because your name's on this business, but they... They're doing things, and so the, the reputation is just a, some of a problem out there, but you work through it, and things are just really, really going well. It's been a number of years since you've been in the, working as an adult in the business now, and, and so you're really excited about that, and, and so one day, your, your dad calls everybody together, all the workers, because there's a good number of workers now, because the business has grown, and he's, he's just smiling and so happy, and he's saying, listen, we, things have just gone so great here, you know? Uh, and we're just so excited about where we're at with things. <clears throat> and and, and I, he says, I know that this doesn't happen by chance, you know, you know, you guys have all worked hard. He says, but it's just such a special, special day, and, and I want to acknowledge this. And he looks at you, and he says, son or daughter, he says, you, there's a restaurant that you, which, what was that favorite restaurant of yours? That you always said, you know, that if you can go anywhere, that's where you want to go. Where is that? And so you tell them. What do you start thinking? We're going to have a party, right? Because we've done all this hard work. You know, we've invested the time. We've stuck in, and look, we're such a great place. And now he wants to know where you want to go. And he says, Dad says, awesome. He says, okay, because we have a reason to celebrate today. And then he turns and, and gestures and out walks your younger brother or sister. And he says, they've decided to come back and work with us. So we're going to go have a party. How would you feel? You'd all just be real spiritual, right? <laughs> so here's a good thing. Well, even if you were trying to respond right, wouldn't you have this tug in your heart? that Why are we celebrating the fact that the younger brother sister here who went out and squandered everything and did things that hurt our reputation? Now we're going to celebrate because they, why don't, we don't celebrate because of what we've done, what I've done. Well, that's a lot like the story that we started looking at last week in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to be on page 1203 in the Bible that's in the pew there. We would encourage you to follow along with us. Luke chapter 15, we just want to do a little review. Jesus, in, in the, the chapters leading up to this, has been talking about what it means to really be a disciple, what it takes to follow him, and how to humble yourself and to be willing to give up everything to follow him. 
And in the process, he keeps connecting with people who have a reputation of being sinful. And they connect with him. And he's also connecting with the religious leaders of his day, and he spends time with them too and talking. But this, the fact that he connects with these people who were known to be sinful became a problem for the religious leaders. So here in Luke chapter 15, so where we started last week, it says, then all the tax collectors... And remember, we said tax collectors back then, it's not quite the same as an IRS agent today. Although you might feel the same way about them sometimes. This tax collector was a traitor to Israel because they were, uh, had contracted with the occupying uh, government, with the government of Rome, to collect Rome's taxes, and then they were also would take off the top and uh, add to that and increase their own wealth through it. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners, all, all the rest of those sinners, drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners. He, he welcomes them. It's like when he sees them come to him, he's glad to see them and welcomes them. And worse, he eats with them. Now, that might be a little bit lost on us in our culture today, although I don't think it is completely. When we sit down with someone and say, hey, let's, let's sit down and let's have a meal together. You invite somebody to your house for a meal or they invite you to their house for a meal. Usually that means that there's something between you, right? Something positive. There's a good connection and you, you at least have a, some sort of a positive outlook on each other. And so in their day, it was even bigger, this whole idea of hospitality and being open and inviting people into your your home uh, to share a meal. So Jesus here is connecting with all of these people whose reputations are really bad. And he's eating with them. And these guys aren't just saying, what's up with this? It says they're doing what? What does it say they were doing? They are complaining. How can you do this? How can he do this? Something's not, this is not right. He ought not be doing this. And then we saw that Jesus tells them three parables. The first parable was that of a, of a lost sheep and how he uses that to tell them how glad God the Father is when sinners repent and come back to him. He talked about the parable of the lost coin, the same thing, how, how you know, important and valuable it is and how God rejoices when sinners return to him. And then he came to the sermon which we're most familiar with, or the, prob, or the parable we're most familiar with, and that's the prodigal son. And last week, we looked at this idea of the good and the bad, the father being the good and the prodigal being the bad. So let's just do a quick review here of the story. The younger son, if you remember, asked for and received his inheritance early from his father. It's like, Dad, you know, it's going to be a long time till you die. Can you just give me the money now? Okay. Very, very disrespectful. And it'd be disrespectful in our culture and much worse in this culture, in this day and time. And so he went out and he squandered this. We hear about this. He squandered this in all sorts of, of sinful ways. But every day, apparently, we get the sense that every day his father is out there, goes out there at some point and looks down the road and wonders when his son is going to return. And one day as he looked out there, the Bible says that while the sun was still far off, because remember this, this sun reached the hit bottom, remember, and said, oh man, I got to go home because nothing else, I can get my dad to hire me because his you know, hired servants are treated better than I'm being treated right now. Try, he wants to come home and his dad is watching for him. His dad sees him. He watches for his son to return and one day he sees him coming down that road. And whereas the son is saying, look, I know I've sinned. And, and the father says, no, forget that, you're home. 
your home. And then he honors his son. You remember, bring the, uh, you know, the robes and the ring and the sandals and, and, and let's honor him. In fact, let's have a party. And the father throws this big party for the younger, previously rebellious son. Showing God's grace towards sinners. Because these, these uh, uh, scribes and, and, and the uh, Pharisees did not have that kind of view of sinners. And so he has challenged their view of sinners. And so last week we saw, what is God's heart towards sinners? Where is it? What's it motivated by? Motivated by grace. Motivated by grace. And so when we ask that question, how does God feel about sinners? This story makes it clear. He's moved by grace toward the sinner. His grace is so sufficient, so lavish, so life-changing that, that I called it grace on fire. Remember that? We talked about that when like an athlete excels. So a great day, we say he's on fire or this person's on fire for what they're doing. God has grace on fire. And today we're going to finish the story. We looked at the good and the bad. Now we're going to move from the good and the bad to the ugly. And today we will challenge ourselves with this question. We've answered how does God feel about sinners. We want to ask the question, how do we feel about sinners? How do we feel about those who are lost? Are our hearts on fire with the grace of God, not just for ourselves, but for others too? Do we feel the same way that God does? Or is our current situation teetering on the verge of ugly? So let's go down to verse 25 in our story here. Verse 25. So the, the son has returned and the party's being thrown. The oldest brother does not know about this yet. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He didn't know what was going on, obviously. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Now let's just stop right there. How do you think that statement hit him? You're a brother. And what do you mean? Because this is the one who was irresponsible. This is the one who so disrespected our father. This is the one who's gone and, and lived in a way that's ungodly. Uh, lived in a way that was not befitting a Jewish person, much less any person. And I've heard about it, I know about it. Your brother's come back. And because he, talking about the father, has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Now, fatted calf to us, I mean, anybody got a fatted calf? Fatted one? This is, this is a livestock, whether it was a, a, a sheep or something else, we don't know. But the idea was this was the one that they were raising for that special dinner sometime. They were fattening them up. And so whatever that occasion would be, it was, if you killed the fatted calf, it's mean because you're having a party. And a big one. An important one. You weren't just going down to Moe's. Okay? You're ordering steak at the chop house. Something. It was a party. So can you imagine how this must have hit the older brother? I mean, what? 
And he reveals that here. Verse 28, but he was angry and would not go in. He would not go into the party. There's no way I'm going to go in and celebrate that boy. As we can see, he doesn't even really think about him as his brother anymore. Dead to me. No way am I going in there. He, he's angry. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Now, just as this younger son had disrespected the father. Do you see the older, the older son here is disrespecting the father now? Because the father is saying, we're having a party. Everyone come in. And the older son says, I'm not going to do it. Not going, not coming in. So much so that the father has to, in a sense, humble himself and go out and not just ask him, but to do what? To plead with him. Please, come in. This matters. This is important. And this older son now reveals where he's at in his heart. But the reason I told you that story initially and asked you to think about it is because it's easy for us to look at the heroes and villains in the Bible and associate ourselves with the heroes and be against the villains, right? We need to be careful because even though it's not right, I think we can see within ourselves that we could be like this older brother. Verse 29, so he answered the older brother and said to his father, lo, these many years. Now this word lo, we kind of lose track of it, but he, really what he's saying is look. I don't know about you, when I was, if I ever wanted to explain something to my father, I wouldn't start off with look. Wouldn't have gone well. <laughs> but that's what he does here, look, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. You told me to do something, I did it. You told me not to do something, I didn't do it. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. So there's this whole thing going on in this older brother. And, and I don't want to try to get into all psychology, where he's at with his dad and all that. I don't, don't know all of that. I do know a few things about it which we'll talk about. But what I want you to see is that all of a sudden he's feeling like justice isn't being done, isn't he? Justice is not being done. He's getting away with that, and here I am, not getting blessed like he's getting blessed. So the father responds, well, though, excuse me, he continues, it gets worse. He says, but as soon as this son of yours came, isn't that the way it goes, you know, in, in marriage with two parents, mom or dad, and, and one or the other will say, look, your boy your son. And this is what he does. As soon as this son of yours came, he has devoured your livelihood with who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, with prostitutes. Dad, do you get it? Prostitutes. That's where your boy's been. This boy you're having a party for. And you've killed the fatted calf for him. He, 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 he just can't get logically from where he is to where his father is at this point in time. Verse 31, and he, the father, said to him, son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. You can enjoy it. You can do with it. You can, you know, enjoy the blessings of this. But then he says this, it was right. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. 
It's right that we celebrate. It's right that we welcome him back. And now remember that Jesus is telling this story to challenge the hard attitudes of the Pharisees when they said, why would you have anything to do with these people? Some observations about the older son here. The first is this, he did not know or understand his father's heart. He didn't know his father's heart, he didn't understand his father's heart, which is why he couldn't logically get from where he was to where his father was. He didn't understand the heart. Uh, because of the way the older brother looked at life, especially how he looked at himself, it didn't make any sense to him. So, so he did not share his father's heart, didn't share it. Not just he not know it, understand, he didn't share the heart. His heart wasn't on the same thing that his father's was. He didn't share the same values. He did not love the same things his father loved. And even though they lived and worked together year after year, their hearts were miles apart. And what was the result? Well, the result is he was mistaken about what matters most. To him, life was about reputation, about position, about possessions. It wasn't about people, that's for sure. And it wasn't about love, and it wasn't about compassion. He was stuck on, but what about me? Me. And instead of viewing his little brother's return as a blessing like dad did, he viewed him as a threat to everything he had worked so hard for. He's going to come in here and mess it all up. But what about me? I mean, it was really ugly. Really ugly. Something about that word me that can become ugly, can't it? I mean, in itself, it's just a word, refers to, it's one of the pronouns I use to describe me. How do I say what me means? Me means me. But sometimes it's me. Me. And it becomes very ugly when that is what we're like. And so this is what the Lord was showing the Pharisees and the scribes about themselves. That it was very ugly the way they were. Their attitude towards sinners and their, really their attitude toward God and his heart. Very, very ugly. Now, now think about this. If the older brother had shared the father's heart, what if he had? Well, he probably would have gone looking for his brother before this time, wouldn't he? If he knew his father's heart toward his son, he might have said, Dad, look, I'm going to go to that far country and just see, you know, if I can talk to him. Maybe we can get him to come back. He would have gone at least once, maybe more than once. And when his younger brother did come home, he would have rejoiced and he would have viewed it as an opportunity to encourage his younger brother. Good choice, younger brother. Let me, let me help you. Because you don't ever want to see him walk away again. You want him to, to deal with what he needs to. And he would have invested his time in this younger brother. He would have invested his resources in this younger brother. And he would have willingly given up the fatted calf and all of his possessions if that's what it took to welcome this boy home. If he truly shared his father's heart for his lost brother, 
he would have given up anything. He would have paid any price as the older brother. He would have gone anywhere. He would have endured any hardship. He would have let go of his reputation, his position, and his possessions to see his lost brother come home to his father and his family. Now, how do I know this? Well, because Jesus is our older brother. When we come to the Lord, the Bible describes him as the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's the firstborn. He's an older brother for us. And that's exactly what he did for us, wasn't it? He, the Son of God shared his Father's heart so, so he willingly lowered himself to reach us. And, and he paid an infinite cost to accomplish it. That's how I know that if he, this older brother had shared his Father's heart, he would have done the same thing that Jesus did because he shared his Father's heart. You know, in his letter to the Philippians, Paul penned words about this that came, obviously, directly from the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2, page 1349 in the Bible that's there in the pews. Pretty famous words for you. You're pretty probably aware of them already, but let's just look at them again. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And, and by mind, it doesn't just mean the, the thinking part, the intellectual part. The, the word mind here is more as its whole mindset, life. It actually probably includes the heart in it. Okay? So let this mind, this way of looking at, at yourself and life and, and what God has given you to do, uh, the same one Jesus had, you need to have. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he was God. God in heavens in eternity. God the Son existing with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit for all eternity past. But what did he do? Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. Gave it up. Let the reputation go. I don't know about you. One of the, I, there's a lot of things I could let go but I'm going to struggle when I let go of my reputation. Are you with me on that? Because it's one of the few things we have, but he was willing to give up his reputation for us. Made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. He became a slave to me. He came to serve me. He, he says that, and we'll answer one point in time. He says, I didn't come to, serve, to be served, I came to serve and to reach those who were lost. And coming in the likeness of men, he became like me. He became like ugly me. Not in his soul, but in this life. You know what I mean? As a human being. He came down into the muck and the mire. Coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance of, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And not just death, but even the death of the cross. He, he died for me. He gave his life for me and for you. And not just any death, the death of the cross. If you were hung on a cross, what would it mean? Everybody looked at you and said, oh, you're a criminal. <laughs> you're, you must be evil. You must be simple. And, and for people to see someone hanging on a Roman cross, that was just despicable. And this is the death that he willingly chose to reach me, to reach you. If you never trusted Christ as Savior, this is what he did for you. 
that your sins could be forgiven, that you could receive eternal life and then become who he wants you to be. But see, this is what the older brother who has the heart of the father does. That's what I want you to see. That makes sense? Older brother who shares the father's heart does what Jesus did. And so applications for us. What happens when we do not share the father's heart for the lost? What happens? Well, we will be focused on ourselves. And I want you to know that the Son of God did never sat in heaven and took selfies. <laughs> he was never focused on himself. I'm not, I'm not preaching on selfies, okay? <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? When we don't have the Father's heart to the lost, we become focused on ourselves. And Jesus gave himself up to come and save us. When, when we don't share the Father's heart for the lost, we will see ourselves as being better or more valuable than the lost. We will see the sins of the lost as being more terrible than our own sins. And I guarantee you, pick up the newspaper and read, you can find some people whose sins are pretty bad. And we can start thinking, we're better than that. We're not like that. <sighs> We won't care about the lost. We won't care that being lost means they will spend eternity in hell. And when we don't share the Father's heart, we won't really even get all that excited about those who get found. See, the challenge this parable brings before us is real. And you have to be willing to take a look at it and really to take a look at yourself in it. It's like looking in a mirror. I need to see, where am I at in this story, Father? Where, where do I fit? What describes me? Because if you don't, you'll miss the whole point. So what about you today? What are you willing to change to reach the lost? How many of you love change when you aren't the one that changed it? There's usually, a, yeah, there's usually two or three, you know. But that's another issue. <laughs> Most of us do not like change when we aren't the ones that are deciding to do the change. But what are you willing to change then to reach the lost? Are you really willing to change the music style that you worship with to reach the lost? Or are you willing to change how you dress or accept how other people dress to, change, you know, to reach the lost? Are you willing to have your schedule changed to reach the lost? Just change in general. What are you willing to give to reach the lost? Are you willing to give your time, you know, your, your abilities, your possessions, your money, your life? Are you willing to give that to reach the lost? Well, what's the Father's answer to those questions? It's absolutely, the, the lost are worth it. And my son died for them. And listen, they are you before you got saved. They are you. The same way I felt about you is the way I feel about them. And he's going to remind you, you know, somebody pursued you to be saved. Even if you were saved as a little child in a, in a Christian family, somebody pursued you to be saved. Someone was inconvenienced by you and they were trying to reach you. 
Some, someone shaped their outreach, how they did outreach, in order to try to win you. Someone changed things to reach you. You know, our heritage, our church heritage, and, and still what we are, we are an independent, fundamental Baptist church. Now, uh, independent in the sense of we, we go directly to God and, and answer directly to Him. Uh, fundamental, not in the sense that the news media uses it, but fundamental in, in the sense of the basic teachings of the Bible. We are absolutely solid on the fundamentals. And our Baptist heritage means a lot of things. I think there's, uh, even in our welcome packet, we talk about that. But I want you to know something, that what we consider this independent, fundamental Baptist style was all new at some point. It was all change at some point. Things were changed to become more effective at reaching the lost with the gospel of Christ. The preaching style was changed to be more effective. The witnessing methods and outreach events were changed to be more effective at reaching the lost. The music and the singing was changed to be more effective. And by the way, many things that we call hymns today were actually newer gospel songs that were added to try to help reach people more effectively in our, what we call our hymn book. All these things were new. And why were they new? Why were they changed to that? To try to reach the lost and to reach them effectively. Why? Because people had the heart of God. They shared God's heart for the lost. And so they said, how do we reach them? What do we need to do to reach them? It's going to require change. Well, okay. It's going to require giving up some things. Well, okay. Because we share the Father's heart. And of course, in our generation here, we've made a number of changes too. All motivated, I think, by the Father's heart. All with the desire of reaching the lost more effectively, helping them become disciples more effectively. And many of you who are here today either came to Christ or renewed your surrender to Christ in this environment. And I want to just challenge you. Because see, the way things are now is what you know, isn't it? This is what you're comfortable with. This is the way things were when God really did a major work in your life and you enjoy them. I do too. Well, don't make the mistake of thinking that the way we do things now is what makes them important and valuable. Because if you do, it will lock you into things that you shouldn't be locked into. Because it misses the point of why we do the things we do. It, it will set you up to become ineffective in ministry and outreach because when your church changes to make disciples more effectively, uh, starting with winning the lost more effectively, you'll be effectively disconnected from your church if you do not share the Father's heart, if your heart is on the wrong things. And you just got to know, things will change again. In our... our uh, basic training course for new believers and newly growing believers, we talk about that there is no growth without change. And you say, oh no, what's he talking about? What's he going to announce today? It's, no, it's not like that. No, we're, I'm challenging the way we think and where our hearts are at. 
I mean, but things will change again. You know, if we keep reaching people, we're going to have to have another service around here. And that's going to change the schedules for people. And it may change how we're going to do, what are we going to do for Bible study on Wednesday night? Maybe we need small groups. The thing is, things may have to change. Schedules will change. Even locations may change. Personnel may change. Be rearranged. Why? Well, because we want to share the Father's heart. And say that we, he's given us a mission to, to make disciples, starting with winning the lost. And how do we do that? And, and so we've got to be willing to change and, and do whatever needs to to accomplish that. But see, here's something we've got to get through our heads and into our hearts. Change is not a threat, it's an opportunity. It's not a threat, it's an opportunity to reach the lost. And when you share God's heart, this is, change is not a threat. And so, to all of us, think about it, each of us. If we don't, if we leave here today not having aligned our hearts with the heart of God, if we don't align our hearts with the heart of God, we won't be willing to lay down our lives and give of ourselves and resources to reach the lost. We won't, and the lost will go to hell. And the Father's heart will be grieved. If we don't align our hearts with the heart of God, we won't be willing to be inconvenienced by change and the lost will go to hell and the Father's heart will be grieved. We won't be willing to, be, to do what it takes to overcome our fears related to reaching out personally, right? I mean, if, if we ask for a show of hands, how many of you struggle or find yourself nervous or scared or trying to share your faith with some witness? A lot of us would raise our hands, wouldn't we? But if we don't align ourselves with the Father's heart, we won't do what it takes to work through that. But if, our, if we share the Father's heart, we'll do whatever it takes. But if we don't, the lost will go to hell and the Father's heart will be grieved. You see, we need to let the heart of God be stamped deeply and permanently into our being. The heart of God. God, stamp it on my heart. We need to be forever and always marked by his heart for the lost. And this is, by the way, this is not optional if we're going to live as followers of Christ. We can't say, oh, we've been saved and yes, we want to live like Christians and, and then we learn all what the Bible says and we change our lives and, and try to live that way, but we don't reach the lost. That's not Christianity. That's your religion. It's a perversion of Christianity if we aren't also reaching the lost. Look there, in, we're back in chapter 15, verse 32. You don't have to turn there. It says, he says to the oldest son here, he says, it was right that we do this. It was right. The father comes out to the misguided brother, pleads with him and says, it's the right thing to do. There is a moral component to this issue. It isn't just that the lost don't get one and the father's heart's grieved. It is sinful for us to choose not to share the Father's heart. It is sinful for us not to reach out to the lost. It is sinful for us not to care about the lost like he does. And, and it's not, not perfect to this, but it's a growing thing, right? If we aren't growing in that, we're sinning. Well, where is the Father's heart today? 
I would say the Father's heart is filled with grace on fire. Right? He's, he's just it's burning in him to, to, to share this grace with, with the creation that has turned away from him. But where is your heart today? Is it with the Father or is it somewhere else? Does your heart beat with the Lord's heart when it comes to reaching the lost? Surely all of us can grow in that. Some of you may be here today and just you haven't been there. Not, you don't know if you want to be there. But I'm confident that the Holy Spirit has, has spoken to all of us today and prompted us to, to either say, yes, I need that heart, Father. I need that heart. And I don't have it right now. I want that. I want your heart. Or it may be that you, you do have that heart, but you say, oh God, I, I need to grow in this. I, I need to have your perspective even more on it, and your heart needs to motivate me more. And maybe you're doing a pretty good job of it, and you say, oh God, please, don't let me walk away from this. Don't let me turn away from sharing your heart for the lost. You need to talk to God today, one way or another. Hopefully you already have been. If you haven't, you need to. What else can you do about it? They think, okay, I gotta go out and try to reach these lost people in my life. Yes, you do, but let me just, just be very simple, okay? Here, just a simple place for you to start. And it's a fairly easy place for you to start in our culture. And, and that would be to go to that friend or family member that you know is unsaved and say, hey, listen, would you, would you come to church with me on Easter? We got two services and I'll go with you to whichever one works for you. It's just a starting place for you to break the ice because here's what happens. Either because you've invited, it may open the door of opportunity to witness to them or if they come, it's going to open the opportunity for you to witness to them. Not that they're going to hear the gospel and on and on it goes. But it's just a simple little thing. But if we don't share the heart of God, it's not going to matter. So, but this idea of, uh, of you know, taking a risk. The other person is worth it. <laughs> Jesus already showed they're worth it, didn't he? By what he did. And so this idea of grace on fire, let it ignite you. Let it set you on fire for the Lord here. Let it ignite us as a church. We need to continually reevaluate ourselves, our ministries, our whole lives. And then, listen, let me say it one more time. Do whatever it takes For us to become and do what we need to do to reach the lost. If we do, we'll be like the church in the book of Acts. People just keep getting saved. Oh, that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? Well, if people just keep getting saved, it's going to cause us problems. It will cause us problems. Logistical problems. It's going to cause us problems with people who bring messes into the church like you did years ago. But we'll be like that church in the book of Acts. We'll be like the church of Philadelphia described in the book of Revelation when God says, Christ says, the church, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it. But it's all contingent upon us sharing the Father's heart for the lost. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your heart toward us who were lost. Thank you that people made decisions to yield to you and reach us. I pray, Father, you'd show us the truth about ourselves, the truth about our hearts as we walk out into the world around us. Last week we talked about, Father, of trying to identify with the lost and, and, and remember that before you saved us, we were just like them at the root issues. Now today, Father, I pray that we would ponder your heart for the lost again and open up our hearts to your heart. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.